Hi, I'm Phil Liggett and you're listening to the Spokesman Podcast. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Monday, October 30th, 2006. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts and blogs on the internet. Each show will bring together some of the most famous voices and writers in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Welcome to another episode of The Spokesman. This is episode number six, and we have a full house with us today, starting with Tim Grawl from the Crooked Cog Network. Hi, Tim. How are you this morning? Doing fine. Excellent. Good to have you here. And as always, Carlton Reed from Bike Biz Magazine and Cycling News and Reviews. Hi, Carlton. Hi there. Good afternoon. And finally, our new spokesman this week, Tim Jackson. Some of you may know him as the Mozzie Guy. Tim, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking me to come play. Hey, it's our pleasure, and thank thank you for getting up so early in the morning with me. Um, do me a favor, Tim. Tell for the people who may not know you, and, and I'm sure that that's very very small number. Doesn't happen. <laughs> that's exactly right. Tell us about you, what you do for a living, and and why people call you Mozzie Guy. Well, I am. The lucky son of a gun who gets to be the head of Mozzie Bicycles. So I am the brand manager of Mozzie Bicycles here in California. And uh, I do all things related to Mozzie. And uh, have been blogging about that experience for a little over a year and a half. And that's that's where the Mozzie Guy tag has come in. Uh, because the, the blog has been my portal to the uh, world for the past year and a half, really. And, and how, uh, how long have you been in the bike business? And, and how did you get involved with Mozzie to begin with? Uh, geez, bike business, uh, almost 25 years now. I started my first bike shop job when I was uh, ripe old age of 12. So been doing this for uh, longer than I care to remember, frankly. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> but uh, I got involved with Mozzie because uh, I've known a lot of people. Uh, Mozzie is owned by Haro Bicycles. Um, and I've, I've known a number of people at Haro for years, some of my former sales reps with other bike companies that I've worked with. Uh, worked with Haro. So when the position at Mozzie came open, um, my name was tossed into the hat and I was lucky enough to have a lot of people say, ooh, 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 hire him. So I got the job that way. So let, let's give you a little bit of a plug. What's new for, for 2007? <laughs> Carlton will, will appreciate the uh, track racing frame set, the fixed gear bike, time trial, cyclocross. We've uh, We've got a nice little offering this year. I'm pretty uh, pretty excited about that. But then again, you know, that's kind of my job. Yeah, yeah. So Interbike was good for you this year? was fantastic. Really, was really fantastic. I, I think Tim Grawl can probably uh, vouch for the fact that uh, I'm a one-man show and I'm a one-man busy show <laughs> come Vegas. It was it was insane this year. So you've caught up on your sleep, I hope. Uh, no, but uh, <laughs> I'm working on it. Well, let's talk for, for, for a second, if, if everyone is with us now, about... The Tour de France, I know that it, it, it seems awfully early to be talking about the Tour, but last week the new route was announced, and I think that what probably overshadowed the whole announcement of the route was the whole talk leading up to the announcement about would they even talk about Floyd Landis, would they talk about doping, or would they ignore him, as, or would they even get mean like they have in the past about Lance Armstrong, 
And Carlton, I think that, that, that you've, you've got a line on this. Tell everybody what, what happened in that regard. Well, I thought they would just gloss over it. They wouldn't do anything at all and uh, just try and skate around as though there was, there was no problem. In fact, they, they put this, this uh, montage up of, of Floyd Landis's face and then they had a cracked mirror and then it fell away and uh, then the, the, the two uh, main people uh, in ASO, the organizer of the tour, then jumped in there and dissed Floyd and uh, all these things where, of course, as we've been discussing on previous um, the Spokesman podcasts, all of this is, has not gone through due process, has not gone through um, to anywhere where anybody can say he did or he didn't. Yet these guys standing up and saying, yes, he did, and he destroyed our tour. Well, isn't it fair to say, though, that, that doping in general, wh whether it was actual doping or suspected doping, really did taint this year's tour? It, yeah, absolutely it did. Whether it's justified or not is what remains to be the question. And the, the tour has suffered from this image ever since the 98 Festina affair, and it's just been highly paranoid ever since. You know, Tim, I've talked about that on, on my show before. If you don't mind, fill everybody in a little bit on the Festina affair and what happened there. Well, in 98, uh, one of their sport directors, or actually one of their doctors, excuse me, was was caught you know, transporting enough drugs to, to kill several horses, really. Um, and the, the, the tour came very close to completely imploding upon itself and not happening. Uh, there were plenty of writer protests against how they were being treated by the authorities and by the media. Uh, Pantani went on to win that tour, uh, creating his, you know, completing his uh, Giro d'Italia and tour double. Uh, and the whole thing was under a massive cloud of suspicion, and many writers were drugged to the dirt. You know, unless you happen to be that uh, guy that likes to climb up hills, Varank, he came out of it pretty clean after eventually confessing to his involvement. Mm. But the tour has, since then, has just been extremely paranoid, in my view. And Carlton, I think you had something to say. Oh, on what, David? Oh, sorry, I, th I thought you were breaking in there when Tim was. Um, so oh, that, that was a few minutes ago, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Tim. So I, I think well, he the, just said, "Don't pontificate." Go ahead, Tim Grawl. So the the whole thing where they're making fun of uh, Floyd Landis, and even though there's no necessary proof of what's going on yet, doesn't that even hurt their position even more? I would think that does nothing but hurt them in the long run when they're um, bringing it up in a way that um, of making fun of it or, or giving somebody a hard time. Doesn't that just hurt them more in the long run? You know, I wonder if, if part of this is, I, I think you're right, Tim, and I, and I think that, that part of it, some people have said, is the whole France versus America thing, where where we know that, they're, that the French sometimes are not, they don't look so favorably upon Americans, especially Americans who beat them at their own sport. Uh, we had a lot of this with Armstrong, uh, there was, where they, they, they kept accusing him of doping, uh, and you know, even last year, after the man had won seven straight, they all but ignored him and really said, oh, well, you know, the cloud is lifted from the Tour de France. So I think that part of it really is, could be, the, the anti-Americanism that can occur in France. You've got to remember Varonk. 
who you mentioned before, is, is a huge doper and an admitted doper, and yet he's the huge sporting hero in France. Right. And uh, right. he was at the He's a national hero. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't buy into the, the the French conspiracy line at all. However, there is there is definitely a, a anti-Americanism going on there, not on, on a bias. big angle. But if if one guy can be a complete hero and he's a doper, and these are the guys who both happen to be American, um, who are just accused of doping and then get all sorts of weird graphics put onto the the, the tour video. I mean, this is there's something wrong here. Yeah, I agree. I'm not. I'm not trying to. Because, like you, I don't. I don't buy into the the conspiracy theories either. We've talked about that yeah. on the show before. But I do think, as Tim said, that there's a bias there. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree. I don't think that there's a major conspiracy to unearth or knock over American cycling by the French cycling authorities. But uh, regardless of of who Floyd is or his nationality, the the way the whole thing is being portrayed by them and drawn out, just is unfair for any athlete. Yeah, I agree. And now, now, Carlton, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things also that was in this tour video, besides this cracked mirror with Floyd's face on it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it, it began with the whole Puerto affair and all of the, the major riders that were banned from participating in this year's tour. And then we find out last week that Spanish authorities, the Spanish court, won't allow the evidence to be used in disciplinary action by sporting authorities probably making the whole thing fall apart and probably allowing all of these riders back into the sport. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, gentlemen? Well, I think it, that I sounds like paranoia again. Yeah. Well, if you, you keep saying how, you know, there's some paranoid in the last, uh, what, eight years of cycling since it all went down in 98... It just sounds, again, like paranoia. You know, a few names get put on the list and everybody gets pulled before there's any real evidence. Right, right. It was it was definitely a far-reaching and ham-fisted response at the beginning of the tour. And I, I think initially there was some applause for it because it, it showed a, a facade, anyway, of being tough. But it was an overreaction, and now we find that, that it was a huge overreaction. Well, well, was we, it? We, yeah, go ahead, Carlton. Yeah, yeah, we don't know about this yet. This is the the whole thing about Puerto, whereas everybody now is saying it's all been dropped. It's not actually dropped. Mm-hmm. The, the the judge in the case and the prosecuting authorities are saying, let's leave it for a while, guys. We'll come back to it next year. That's how the the, the legal process in Spain works. So all of this could be reopened again. And I'm, I'm the last person to defend um, Pat McQuaid, but when he says that uh, the UCI. Uh, would be worried about riders getting contracts if they have been implicated in Puerto. He has got a slight uh, point because the the whole investigation could be opened up again um, next year, and this whole mess could just just be perpetuated again. Unfortunately, right. Just to why be would clear, they wait a year to bring it up? Well, the the, the issue here is one uh, again, as Carlton said, of the way that the Spanish courts are dealing with the evidence. Uh, it's really a procedural issue. Uh, not an issue of, well, gee, we haven't found any evidence against these guys, so we're going to drop the case. That isn't what they're saying. They're saying that there is evidence, that there is some substance to the charges, but the judge is saying you can't use this evidence in disciplinary action right now. So we're only going to use it in the court case right now. 
whether or not you can use it later remains to be seen. So that really, in, until the evidence is allowed to be used in a disciplinary case, that puts the whole situation on hold. It's one of the reasons why it looks like Basso was cleared to ride again. It's going to throw people like Pat McQuaid because it's innocent before um, being proven guilty. And he's just not used to that kind of concept. It's not guilty and proven guilty. Right, right. So he's, he's, he's very confused about uh, due process and law. It's just, it's beyond him. Well, one of the things I think that's been one of the more interesting uh, tidbits to come out here recently, anyway, was now there's an implication that some of the civil guard, the Spanish police, were accused of document falsification in the process. So for the people who want to believe it's a conspiracy, man, they have plenty of ammunition. I think it's like any legal case. It's far more complex than people right. imagine. It's right. not black and white. He doped, he didn't dope, he's guilty, he's not guilty. There are so many things in these, and these why, this is why all of these things need to go into a proper adjudication so genuine experts can, can work out what's true and what's not true and come to an agreement. And, and I would have to back that, Carlton. I think that's part of, for me, what's been frustrating about the whole affair is, is that so little is actually known and yet so many sweeping allegations are made and the entire sport is thrown under a cloud of suspicion and doubt and, and just sorry just to bring it back to where we started on on the, on the tour route uh, this is all possibly a lot of this flack that is thrown up by people like McQuaid is potentially in order to get at the Grand Tour organizers so yeah. the, the Grand Tour organizers what they've done they've they've done a whole host of things which are going to annoy Pat McQuaid and the UCI, one of which is making the, the tour route 500 kilometers or 300 kilometers longer than it, it is allowed to be under UCI regulations. So there's, there's this constant fighting, infighting between the Grand Tour organizers and the UCI. And unfortunately, the athletes and us fans are just caught in the middle between all of this, this infighting. You, you've got to have a, a degree in in psychology to understand why somebody's being accused of doping. It's not just a, a degree in chemistry. There's, there's a lot of other things going on here. Yeah, and let's back up a second, let's, because I think we, we, we all know about this, but for maybe some of the listeners don't. There is a bit of a feud going on between the organizers of the Grand Tours and the UCI over a variety of subjects, namely the Pro Tour, the calendar, the number of teams that are, are are allowed to participate, and as a result, there's there's a lot of infighting, as you said, going on between the two, and you know where there's reports that people in the pro tour maybe want to shorten the length of some of these grand tours because they think that that's going to maybe cut down on doping. Uh, at the same time, like you said, they're lengthening the tour instead. So there's a lot of fighting going on between these two. What, what's your take on the idea of maybe cutting the length of some of these races? Will that help? I don't think I it'll think help. I think that's ridiculous because the competition will still be there even with um, shorter races. And the thing that causes the problem, I think we've talked about this before, is more the fact that there's such stiff competition and so much money to be had and lost that um, the pressure is there. So as long as there's money involved, the pressure is going to be there and people are going to do what they need to do and cheat to uh, win. So Tim Grawl says it's about money and, and, and pressure and competition. Tim Jackson, what do you think? I, I would have to agree. You know, I, I, I race at, 
at the uh, elite level here in Southern California, and some of the guys, I, I mean, <laughs> there are guys that I know because they've told me flat out that they've doped in one way or another, whether it's steroids through the winter to bulk up, for masters races where there is no payday. It's just the chance to be the guy standing on the top step of the podium. So, you know, if it's professional tiddlywinks, people are going to cheat. It, it just doesn't matter. So shortening the races, I don't think, is going to have an impact on it because there's still going to be a paycheck at the end, whether it's a short race or a long race. And, man, have you seen some of the thumbs on those dopers in the tiddlywinks league? Man, those things are huge. <laughs> Carlton, Looks like a spatula. <laughs> Carlton, what do you think? What, you think it's it's money and pressure? You think it's the length of the tour? What do you think? The 100 meters uh, athletics race is a kind of a short race, and I, I believe yeah. they still dope in that. So length, no, nothing to do with it. So people will cheat just to win is the bottom line. Absolutely. Sure. I, I play totally with Where do I get the drugs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I play clean. <laughs> yeah, and, and will you submit to a DNA test that says that? Uh, sure. And and you know what? That's, that it, it comes up in Tiddlywinks. We might as well talk about it in cycling. What do we think about the, the idea of these riders having to prove themselves by giving a DNA sample? What do we, what do we think about that whole concept? Well, there are already realms of witch hunts here. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. What do you need to do? I mean, the life of a pro athlete must be hell as it is. Pro cyclist. Which end we have? It's just crazy. Where where do you stop? Yeah, pro pro cyclists get get poked and prodded more than most athletes, I think, just because there's so much suspicion in the sport at the moment. So. Really, uh, the way they're looking at it, I would have to assume, is that it's it's just one more thing to have to submit to, whether they agree to it or not. I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I agree. Where do we draw the line? But at this point, I don't, I don't know that there is a line, and I think many of them see it that way. Do you think the racers would be willing to do it just because? I mean, the ones that aren't doping, they're the ones that are suffering the most in all of this because they're put on the spot all the time and they have to do all this stuff um, because of the few that are actually doing it so do you think maybe they just they'll do whatever it takes to um, to just get the sport cleaned up I think many of them will I mean you gotta keep in mind these guys when they go on vacation they have to tell their national governing body where they're going in case they're due for a random test and they may have a guy with a pickup waiting on their doorstep when they return they have to be available for random drug testing at, at a moment's notice. So they're already living a life that is under massive scrutiny. You know, that was it's one of the most memorable parts for me of, of one of Lance's books where he's talking about them showing up at the most inopportune moments and being mm-hmm. just totally humorless and, and you know, almost inhumane in their their whole treatment of him every time they would show up with that cup. Yeah. Well, it's pretty amazing. Let's let's talk about somebody who has said and I have to quote um, Landis is positive and may or may not get off. It's a farce. Um, 
This is somebody who is racing in on the track. Uh, we're talking about guys like David Miller, Roger Hammond, Bradley Wiggins, and this is something that I know nothing about, and I thought that maybe Tim and Carlton, you could tell us why this is a big deal. Because track cycling is the best cycling. <laughs> oh, did I say that? Yeah, well, tell us why it's the best cycling. <laughs> uh, well, from a, from a fan standpoint, and I, I think this may be one of the reasons... We'll, why it is as popular as it is in some places is that from a fan standpoint everything takes place right in front of you so even the races that make absolutely no sense like the Madison where trying to figure out what's happening in the Madison is you gotta be doing calculus and have your abacus out and figure out who's got the points who's a lap up and a lap down it's crazy but to watch it it's amazing and so so yeah. what's the big deal about these guys going head to head against each other on November 18th well, well, Bradley and, and, well, Bradley and David are, are they're, they're not just trackies, of course. Uh, they're they're Tour de France riders, mm -hmm. so there's, there's there's that background to them. So that's interesting. They're also both the favourites, or among the favourites, for the the prologue next year. Correct. Uh, which is taking place, which I'm, I'm sure everybody now knows, in London. Mm -hmm. And both this, of them this are, sort of a prequel for that. Yeah, now, I think Bradley will win. Uh, because he he's he's yeah. he starts on the track. He's the track expert, but um, David is in the form of his life, in the clean form of his life, of course, and uh, he could probably wipe anybody at the moment. So it, it, that that particular tussle is going to be interesting. I would agree. I mean, uh, I think David, and I, this is you know what I mentioned to Carlton in a separate email is that I think David will will certainly be uh, the emotional favorite for the event. I'm assuming anyway, because he's a likable character. He's you know come out of of his doping suspension, and uh, has ridden well, has been very humble, and has said a lot of the right things. Um, and Bradley is a world champion, so he certainly knows how to ride on the track very very well. So I think both of these guys are going to go into it fairly emotionally charged. In, in what is essentially their off-season as well. So I, I think there's, there's a lot of good things to look at for this event, and the Revolution Series has proven to be very good for track cycling in the UK. I've been to a few of them, and, and whereas I go to World Championships events as well, which can take place over three days and, and, and are punctuated by amazing excitement, but then there's three hours of, of UCI officials going around way on bikes, and it's yeah. kind of boring. <clears throat> but then you get these revolution series, and I'm sure you'll have the similar in the, in the, uh, the U.S., where everything is packed into three very, very concentrated hours of just pure adrenaline, where there's, a, there's no seconds between the one event starting and the next finishing and then the next one. It's just relentless. And I, I, I go as the, in the, the track center as a, a VIP guest. <clears throat> and um, I take my kids and the whole family goes and I've taken people who had no interest in cycling whatsoever as a, as a, um, as a guest and they've come away as cycle sport fans because they've had no idea something could be so exciting and uh, so adrenaline packed and you're right there and you can go to the, the side of the track and you, if you wanted to you could almost touch them as they're coming past at these amazing speeds and this blaze of colour um, so track racing is, it's actually where, where pro cycling started, of course, because the, the velodromes are where 
um, the early originators of cycling. They, they put on these short races to get people attracted to cycling. And uh, they were always these incredibly action-packed events. And it was only when the UCI-type bodies of this world took it and, and took the excitement out of it <laughs> that uh, they started to become <laughs> these incredibly big and, and, and boring events. But you go to one of these um, circus events, in effect, and they are just amazing. And what many people in the U.S. don't recognize is that in the early 1900s, track cycling was the number one professional sport in the U.S. And, you know, you, you have events like the Kieran, that's my personal bias, uh, that finding anything that happens on two wheels that's more exciting than Kieran is, in my mind, really hard to do. I mean, just... Jap Japanese for battle, isn't it? Yeah, it is just you can, you can amazing. Thumb. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they've cleaned up the rules now, so you can't oh. knock the other guy off the bike as much as you used to be able to. This is but why I look for it. I'm waiting for the thumping, and I'm wondering why it hasn't come. See, I, thought yeah, it was like, I thought it was like the NASCAR of cycling. It, it is yeah, pretty much, and it was just before the, ninth, the, excuse me, the, the last Olympics where they changed the rules so that you couldn't mm -hmm. impede the other rider as much. You couldn't bang off of them, so they, they kind of cleaned it up and made it more of a gentleman sport, but it's still so exciting because it's a drag race and a very physical drag race, so it is very much the NASCAR of cycling. I mean, it's, Tim, it's all about big bodies banging off of each other. God, I love Tim, it. Have you, have you been to Japan and watched the Kieran racing? No, I haven't. I've I've only watched video of the Japanese Kieran, and because of course uh, that it, is isn't it, it, that is the the biggest sport in Japan. Is I think there's horse racing, and then you have Kieran racing. It's the, that is the biggest sport in in betting. Exactly, in Japan. It's huge. With something like thirty velodromes, a huge they, class they of, have, of they have, Yeah, they have Kieran academies. All the equipment has to be Kieran certified. You mean it's bigger it's, than sumo? <laughs> Bigger in a smaller way. Oh, very good. <laughs> you know, it's too bad Larry's not here. Larry, uh, who who would love to be here, he's and and we wish him congratulations. He's on his honeymoon in Hawaii right now. Oh, congratulations! Yes. So and because because he lives in Japan, I'm sure he's been to Kieran Racing. We're gonna have to ask him about that on mm. the next show. Yeah, yeah. That would be really interesting. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about cycling in London, but from a different perspective. Uh, there was a program that started, I'm not sure how long ago this was, and, and whether or not this was really just all a PR stunt, but Halfords decided to put, what was it, 10 bicycles uh, mm -hmm. around London, and it was going to be called the Borrow the Bike Program, and it was going to be one of these things where when you saw one of these brightly colored bikes, if you needed to get around, you'd pick it up and you'd ride to your destination. You'd leave it for somebody else to take the bike and ride it around. But apparently, Borrow the Bike became, uh, as I think Carlton called it, the Nika Bike Program. Uh, the bikes all of a sudden are, are gone. Carlton, what the heck happened? Well, if you check on the Halfords, Halfords is the, the uh, independent bike store uh, eater in this country. So that, that's like <laughs> the biggest... Uh, bike store and they sell motor accessories as well in the UK something like 300 stores um, if you look on their website they they are now begging people to return these bikes and they will give you a bike if you uh, if you hand it in they haven't been able to find them they're they're they'll be in, in um, canals somewhere like happened with similar schemes in Amsterdam and uh, in various other cities they get trashed and this, this, I mean, I, I have a news website. I also do a website for uh, the UK government called bikeforall.net, which would be perfect for this story. But I didn't touch the story, unlike uh, 
other news out outlets because it was just a PR stunt. It was ten bicycles. They were very cheap and horrible bicycles, and it was going to run for a month. And it was it was a way of getting Halfords into the into the newspapers. It wasn't a real transport scheme. If Halfords suddenly donated six hundred bicycles, locked them up properly, put a credit card scheme in, etc., that's newsworthy. That's transport. What they did was just to try to get their name in in front of uh, people, and it all came from a PR agency. I guess it was their idea to do this. It hasn't backfired on them in that they lost all their bikes, but they were $200 bikes anyway, and there's only 10 of them, now, and uh, they've I've, got acres of publicity. I've seen in Germany, I was in, in Frankfurt uh, earlier this year and walking around, and I saw that there, were, there was a similar program there, but there the bikes were, were sort of a little bit more sophisticated because in order to have the bike unlocked, they weren't just lying around. They were, they were standing there in a locked position. In order to unlock it, you'd dial a number on your cell phone and it would charge you basically through your cell phone for the use of that bicycle for a particular period of time. That made sense to me. Uh, and I think it's really worked for them. And I, I think this is in other cities as well. But right. we, when you say this hasn't backfired, you mean that, that people haven't really caught on to the fact that this was perhaps only just a PR scheme? Oh, not backfired in the fact that they got loads of PR people, mm. uh, uh, loads of press. So the yeah. Evening Standard ran stories, BBC ran stories. Yet there's an existing scheme called OiBike, uh, which is a genuine tap in your credit card details, use your mobile phone, unlock the bike, use it for genuine transport, never gets a mention. And they've got bikes you know, in genuine locations. So there's just there's that dislocation. There's, there's, there's genuine... And there's a, a stunt dreamed up by a, a PR agency. Unfortunately, gets all the all the kudos, and that's that's just a shame. Yeah, they, they, even the people who readily recognize the fact that it was the PR stunt, there's still you know there's got to be people going oh, that was clever. Well, I mean, it, it it was. It got us talking about it, didn't it? Exactly. And, and how many times? Did and we we're say clever the, people. Yeah, and how many times did we say <laughs> the H word? So it's <laughs> good for them. Uh, Carlton just emailed me a story just a, a couple of minutes before we started uh, recording. And, and by the way, kudos to Carlton this week. He has been the news hound. He sent a lot of great <laughs> stories in. So thank you, Carlton, for doing that. Um, but it, 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 the, the headline on the story, and of course it's from bikebiz.com or bikebiz.co.uk, and it says, It's official. Helmet hair is bad news. Uh, Carlton, tell us about this story so that we can talk about it. Uh, well, I, I was holding it from a magazine, so it, it actually headlined the print mag as well. Um, and it was from the September edition of a sports journal, which has these heat dissipation experts talking about uh, why helmets work and why sometimes they, they don't work and how all these fancy claims from from some manufacturers about we have ports here which drag in uh, air and shove it out the back and do this well may not actually be telling the the whole truth so they tested 24 brands of helmets they never named which ones didn't work but they then said look some of these helmets worked very well and some were terrible and some of them were their expensive ones who worked terrible so don't believe everything you you read in advertising so just because you've got big holes doesn't mean it's going to work and of course, the more holes you put in the helmet, it makes the helmet lighter, easier to wear, 
But have you wondered, ever wondered why helmets are no longer as safe as they were 15 years ago when they were much heavier and they didn't have as many vents? Your modern-day helmet isn't actually protecting you as much as a helmet from 10, 15 years ago. Now, of course... Well, that makes sense. If you poke holes in the helmet, it's going to make it weaker, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, no matter how much you reinforce it. Yeah. Now, for, for me, one of the reasons I like all those holes is when my head gets itchy, I can always reach where my itch is without taking the helmet off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, always trying to true. think practically. Well, I like the part of that article, too, that talked about the fact that uh, if you shave your head, uh, that helps right. more than pretty much anything else. So I'm already ahead of the game there. <laughs> this is clearly why, why tour riders, that they're very short, cropped hair. This is why. Yeah, you don't, you don't see that. Brochard held on to the, the mullet cut for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you have it short on top, you're still getting that uh, help. And exactly. The back, you're still good to go. Yeah, yeah. He looks good with a helmet on. <laughs> no, see, the, the the research was saying there's actually a sweet spot on the back of the helmet, where if you do have this this long hair at the back, like a ponytail, that's going to really affect your performance. So, is anybody out there is riding with a mullet or is riding with a ponytail, and uh, they ought to look again if they want to go a bit faster. Ah, but you remember from a couple of weeks ago, if you've got the long hair, you're going to be safer. Uh, blonde hair, yes, yes, yeah. oh, right, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. If you yeah. have long blonde hair, you, they're going to stay away from you, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, Tim, Tim Jackson, you missed that story, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. and welcome back to Hairdressing Weekly. <laughs> All right, one more story I, I want to talk about really quickly, and and this is sort of again, this is a real Fred story. Just it's a, it's a gadget story that I thought was too cool. I talked about it on my show. And I thought this might be something you guys might be interested in. But apparently, in Europe, uh, the car company Opel has come out with a factory-installed OEM bike rack. This thing is really cool. A portion of, when you're ready for it, a portion of the bumper, the rear bumper, actually extends out from the car. And the bike rack is located inside the bumper. So now it pops out and you're ready to, to put your bike right on the car. So no hitch-mounted rack, no roof-mounted rack. It's part of the car. And another cool part about it is that there is another license plate mount so that when this pulls out and the license plate now is, is hidden, there's another mount on there for the license plate. I thought it was really neat. It could be coming to the United States on the Saturn View in the future. And... I don't know, I'm just sort of hoping that this becomes a wave of the future, that we can uh, buy a new car and not have to buy a new rack every time we buy a new car. Because I, I like roof racks, and it never fails every time I buy a new car. Whatever I've got won't fit the new car, and I have to buy something new. So I thought it's this was James, kind of cool. It's what James Bond would use. This is a James Bond Q-type um, product. It just comes out, you put your bike on, and back it goes. It, it is so neat. I saw it on your show. David and uh, I contacted the, the the UK people, and it's going to be on. Um, it's, Opel is Vauxhall uh, in the UK, so General Motors own all these different companies. Right. And it's not just going to be on an SUV. I thought it would have to be a really big vehicle to get these on. It's coming on um, a Corsa, which is almost a, a mini car. So the technology to fit these in 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 any car is there. It doesn't have to be a massive car. They just just look so neat. That is a very, very clever design. It's a I th- thousand I, I, dollars. Anytime, 
any time the the auto industry embraces anything to do with bicycles, it it always you know makes me feel a little giddy, whether it works or not. You know, it, it's because let's face it, from an industry standpoint, for someone like me, is that uh, cars are going to outsell bikes all the time. So any any time I can get a little bit of an inroad into that market, the better. And and Carlton, when you talk to them, how much did they say that it was? It's about a thousand dollars to add it on. That's I, you know I, I suppose it's not, not so bad when, you know when you consider that it's it's built into the car it's and it, it it hides away when you're not using it. How many bikes will it hold? It's two. I don't know. I think that's that's kind of a good thing. I, I like it, and and I like your description mm-hmm. of it as sort of a, a James Bond uh, sort of a, a gizmo. Mm-hmm. Well, from reading that, it actually came out two years ago. I think it was the Paris Motor Show when it first came out. But then General Motors had to spend two years making sure that it would last the lifetime of the car. So this isn't a flimsy little steel thing that comes out and it gets road spray on it and then stops working after uh, six months. This is meant to last the whole time you own the car. It's it's probably worth the investment if you're really into into your, A, your gadgets, and B, your bikes. Hmm. Excellent. Interesting. Well, well, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. I think we've covered a lot of topics today in, in not too long of a time. I think this is a real digestible length show, and I think our listeners <laughs> are going to be happy about that. So I want to thank you all for participating, and, and uh, uh, for Tim Jackson, thank you for being here for the first time and getting up early with us. So, Tim, tell us again how people can find you and uh, read your blog. All they got to do is just look up Mozzie Guy. It's just mozzieguy.blogspot.com or just go straight to Google and type in Mozzie Guy and I'm kind of the one. And that's Mozzie, M-A-S-I. That is correct. And Tim Grawl, how can they find you? You can find me at crookedcog.com and my podcast is crookedcogpodcast.com and uh, feel free to shoot me an email at tim at crookedcog.com. And Carlton? Plug your st- plug away. Well, it's bikebiz.com is the news website, and the podcast is Cycling News and Views, and that's on iTunes and other places you get your podcasts. Very good, and I am David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, www.thefredcast.com. You can send me an email at thefredcast at gmail.com. And for those of you who maybe subscribe to The Spokesman but don't know about our website, that's at www.the-spokesman.com. Be sure to put the hyphen in, otherwise you'll be real surprised. You'll think, as Carlton says, we're, we're aging American bearded men singing folk t- tunes. So, again, thank you all. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Tim. No, we're not? Uh, well, sh- don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's when we, we stop the show. People don't hear what we get up to afterwards. That's right. All right, gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners for, for staying subscribed. And please tell your friends about it. We'd like to grow the audience of The Spokesman as much as we can. Uh, we'll be back with you in two weeks. Until then, get out there and ride. <laughs>